Sorry, it's ridiculous how long this I am. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you, Father, Lord, for the moment I believe, Lord God, your grace is here. I pray, Father, Lord, you to help me to speak words of eternal life. I pray that, Lord, there is order in my testimony. I pray, Father, Lord, that your name be exalted. I pray, Father, Lord, that your name be glorified. I pray, Father, Lord, that you speak into hearts tonight for those that don't know you. Because, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other purpose, Lord God, on this earth, Lord God, unless we worship and adore. Father, Lord, help me to speak. Lord, distill this beating heart. Father, Lord, please, I thank you that my children are here. I thank you that we are found in the house of God on a Sunday morning. And Lord, whoever hears my testimony, Lord, I pray, Lord God, they will come to know you as their Saviour, Lord, one day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'll start back my childhood. I grew up in a little village in the country and everybody in this land goes to church, that's just normal and part of your part of your life. But for me it was never part of my life. I didn't go to Sunday school, I didn't yeah, it just wasn't part of, of my life. I didn't have a Bible in the house, we didn't talk about Jesus. Um, my mum, as a child, always said she knew there was a God when she looked to the skies because of the stars. But I never, I just never had a spiritual thought in my life. Um, once upon a time, England was a very godly land, but for my generation, it's, it's just not like that. Sunday school was never part of my life. I never heard the gospel preached, no one spoke of Jesus. I didn't have scriptures, it was just not there. Um, so I grew up and I had a, a good, kind upbringing, but left home quite young. I decided I wanted to see the world, and um, a friend and I bought a backpack and we bought a, a Rand's a World ticket, and off we went. And to the day, she's still my dearest friend. But I look back and I, I marvel that God kept me in those times because the places I found myself in and what we got up to was so dark, but he kept us and we went everywhere. We, we traveled, we came home, we worked again and we traveled and we went there and everywhere. And we, yeah, we did some crazy, crazy stuff. And when I got saved and God showed me things, I recognised his hand upon my life because I shouldn't be alive. The depth I was in and what I'd opened my heart up to, I won't even discuss. But I found myself in my sort of mid-twenties and I'm living now in America. I decided I wanted to go live in America so illegally got myself into that country and once you're in you don't leave because you can't get back in a day 
So I was there for a few years and my life was very good in a sense because I had a very good job, I had an apartment, I, yeah, I had a good life in that and I had a good job and I kept a very good face. But underneath, I was way out of control. And things that I you things that I never imagined that I would do, I started doing, and it just goes from bad to bad to worse to worse. And because nobody knew, it was okay. And things, yeah, things were horrible. But anyway, I'm working in a recruitment agency and a girl from England comes into the agency and we immediately start talking and there was something about this girl that just wanted me to hang out with her. And so I got her a job and we became friends and I used to go to her house and I lived in quite an affluent area and she lived in perhaps one of the poorest areas in Brooklyn. And when I say nothing, they had nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But I couldn't stop myself going to her house. There was something about her that drew me there. And then she came round to my apartment one night and she started speaking to me about the Lord Jesus. Um, and I had no interest, I have to be honest, I didn't even want to talk about it. My mum in the interim had got saved and I knew she'd been praying for me for years. But I had no desire to talk about Jesus, she talked about Moses, she talked about Abraham. I didn't know what she was talking about. And I just sat there and I carried on drinking but because I was polite, I listened. And at early hours of the morning, she said, right, we're going to pray. And I thought, this is so not what I wanted. I didn't want to pray. I didn't even want to hear about Jesus because in my mind, Christians were boring. Christians, yeah, were dull, had no fun. Just thought, I don't know where that came from, but that's how I thought all Christians were. And she said, we're going to, we're going to pray. And she turned the lights off. She lit some candles. And she prayed and... I just broke. And now I know it was God's prevailing grace, but I had no idea what was happening to me. I just wept and I wept and I wept. And she went home and I went to bed. She came back the next day. There was a knock on my apartment door and there's Edna, all smiley and Christian and bubbly and I probably had a headache. And she had a Bible in her hand and she said, Sarah, we're going to say the sinner's prayer and we're going to ask Jesus into your life. Well, I wasn't a sinner because I didn't think of myself as a sinner, so that offended me, first of all. And I didn't even know if I believed in Jesus, so how could I ask Jesus into my life? But because I was polite, I thought, she opened the Bible and she'd written this prayer down of repentance, and I repeated it after her. And then she left, and I put the Bible down, and that was that. And I went out and carried on as I did. But when I came home that night, rather than going to bed, I picked up my Bible. 
And that was the first time in my life I'd ever read God's Word. And it, became, it was like the sweetest, most purest thing. I didn't even understand it. But I just couldn't stop myself reading. It was so wholesome and so good. And, and that's really the start of, of a year of weeping, repenting, and seeking the Lord. I lived in the world, but <coughs> I'd go out at night, I'd come home, I'd read my Bible. But the scriptures say the goodness of God leads to repentance. And as he started showing me that he was God and he was good, I felt I hated myself. I hated what I'd done. I mean, the shame and the baseness of it. I stooped so low, but I never thought it was bad. But as his light started to shine in me, I saw how awful my life was. The lying and just everything. But he just, he started, I didn't, I didn't know what, you have to understand, I didn't know anything about God. So I did, I used these words, but I didn't know about prevailing grace. I didn't know he was drawing me. This, it was just the Holy Spirit doing this sweet thing. And the more I read his Bible, the more I didn't like who I was and I realized I'd hurt people. But my life was just so dark, you know, and darkness becomes your life doing the alcohol and the drugs and everything that I did, that was just normal. But as his light came into my, my life, that was suddenly dark. It wasn't normal because I walked in that atmosphere for so many years. It was just normal. So I, I used to go out, I used to come home. I cried a lot, I said sorry a lot. I lit a lot of candles because I didn't even know, I thought God lived in a church. I thought he lived in a building. I used to walk down Times Square and didn't even know who David Wilkinson was. I used to go and sit in the back of David Wilkinson's church because I thought that's where God was. And I traveled from England to New York, from England to New York. And when I worked in England, I'd walk to work and I'd always walk past his church and I'd sit in the back of the church. See, nobody told me that salvation was a free gift. And I knew I wanted to be saved, although I didn't even know what it meant to be saved. But I just had this desire to get my life right. And I made altar calls. I just, just so naive and so innocent, really, that I didn't really know what I was doing. But I cried an awful lot. And then I remember the very, very first scripture that God gave to me that, when I look back, I think they're really from more of my recent years of my walk. But it was in Psalm 27, verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. And that scripture kept me. I, just, I don't even know if I understood what it meant, but every time I felt bad or sad, I would turn to that scripture and I kept saying, I'm going to wait, Lord. I'm going to wait. Um, and 
Then I came to, my mum and Peter were in Northern Ireland at this point, and I was back in London for good. I moved back here. And they were at a church in, um, they were living in Carrickfergus, and they were at Whitewell. And I knew at the end of the meetings, because I must have seen videos of it, that he did, an, he did a, an altar call. So I don't even know what, I don't even know what the, the man preached, but I just, the pastor preached. But I remember going to the meeting thinking all the way through, I'm just, I'm going to get saved, I'm going to get saved, I'm going to get saved, I'm going to put my hand up, I'm going to get saved. And that's exactly what happened. At the end of the meeting, he asked if anybody wanted to give their life to the Lord. And I shot my hand. And I shot my hand up. And I knew in a split second of time the power of the living God came upon me. And I knew every part of my being that he'd forgiven me. That the filth and the baseness and the ugliness of my past that I carry today, but I know my sins are forgiven. I know that he forgave me. I knew right there and then that my life would never be the same again. I just knew it. I just knew it wasn't, yeah. I knew, I mean, the joy of the sins forgiven. If you carry darkness and you carry sin, the moment that is that is lifted and that you are cleansed in his blood, it's just the most amazing thing in the world. I was just flying for days. I, and I came outside and the Bible says I was once blind but now I see. And I looked through I looked through my eyes with new eyes. I, yeah, I'd never seen the sky looking so blue. I'd never seen waters looking so crystal. I'd never, I actually thought that the wind was speaking to me. And I knew there were angels all around me. I just knew it. I was in a spiritual world now. And I knew, I just knew the gift of God, you know, I just, and yeah, and that afternoon I decided that uh, I wanted to get baptised immediately. Didn't even know what it was to get baptised or why I wanted to, but I wanted to get baptised. So my mum and Peter and Andrew and Sheila took me down to the Belfast lock and there and then I, don't, I was baptised. And it was, it was just the most glorious day of my life. And I thank God for his mercy. I thank him. Yeah, I thank him for Calvary. My language just changed. You know, I speak now like a Christian, but it comes instantly. I just knew that he was the son of God. I knew that he died at Calvary, that my sins be forgiven. I knew he was the bishop of my soul. I knew he was my great high priest. I just knew it. I just knew it's, it's just a miracle of a new life. And I just, yeah, and he dealt instantly with my tongue. I used to swear. And I can't even, I can't swear. I used to blaspheme. 
I can't, and I have no desire to, but it even, even if people to this day take God's name in vain, I can't even give them either. Because he was now my God. And I feared him, but a fear in such a reverent way that I didn't want to disappoint him. And I knew as well that I had to be his witness. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, but I knew how I felt and now I know what it means. I, I knew he had called me to be his witness and I knew I had a testimony to keep. I just remember feeling these things, but I didn't know what they were. Um, and then I'm on my own as a Christian. I, I go home and... Uh, I had one contact in London, a friend um, in the church in Carrick Fergus gave me a number of a man called William Alpha. He's actually an Irishman, but he was living in London. And I started, you know, him and his wife used to start, I started going to church with him. But in those days, I was just so hungry. I used to just get on the tube. I wasn't even invited to Bible studies. I used to invite myself to people's houses, just found out where they were, knocked on the door. I didn't even wait for an invite. Nobody dragged me anywhere. Nobody begged me to come to church. Nobody begged me to go to the meetings. I was just so thirsty for the things of God. And everything that I once knew, I didn't even want anymore. It wasn't even like, oh, poor you, you've got to stop or... It, nothing. I didn't want that. I didn't miss it. I didn't desire it. I was a new creature in Christ. And I knew the spirit of the living God lived in me. And I, I, I just had this real fear and reverence that I was full of the Holy Spirit and I had to really treasure mm -hmm. that gift because I felt so good I never wanted to lose it. <clears throat> So life in London settles down and I have my children and I have Kez and Jemima um, and things start to get a little bit complicated in my life. Uh, but God gave me these scriptures in Malachi, oh hang on, sorry. The first scripture is in 1 Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that would have, would have blessed me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be with me, and that thou would have keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. And also in Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there will be no room enough to receive it. Now, I remember when I got those scriptures, I remember exactly where I was sitting in the house and things were really difficult for me. And I, don't, I didn't even know what those scriptures meant, to be honest. But something, you know, 
God is the living word. And that just kept me. Whenever I was sad, whenever I was, it was difficult, I just, these, these words kept me. And the scripture in, in Psalm 27. And then somebody, um, probably my mum sent me uh, uh, a, part, a DVD or CD or something of Pastor, a man called Pastor Ken Denon. And I put on this message. God's timing is just so amazing. And it was a message called Soldiers. And there was something about this man that I'd never heard. It was like he took me to another level of my Christian. I'd been saved like two or three years, a different place. But it was a message was on soldiers and that message taught me that this was about a spiritual warfare. I hadn't recognised any of that before. I was saved, but I was just breathing through, but now suddenly I recognise that I'm in a battle. And he taught me the discipline of being a soldier very early on in my Christian walk. He taught me, God taught me, <laughs> to be faithful, to be obedient, and to be disciplined. And he taught me to pray. And I thank God for that man because that message just, he te the Bible says he teaches your hands to walk. <clears throat> and I recognised I was in a battle. And I recognised, and I just took scriptures as they literally were. You know, it says to pray, and then I read one day, it said to seek me early. So I got into the habit of getting up early, before the kids were even awake, you know. And I used to pray because that became my, my, my power. There was a strength in prayer, there was his, 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 his anointing in prayer, and those, those wells are deep, and I learned to dig deep. Because at this point, I'm barely standing with what's going on in my life. But that place of prayer became my sanctuary. And I think I didn't even want to wake up sometimes and deal with stuff. But every time I came to pray, he held me. And, <coughs> and I knew I had to keep walking. And I knew because nobody else is my friends in London. Nobody heard what I was hearing through this man preaching. I used to, I was so excited to share it. I said, listen to this man. But nobody heard what I was hearing. So I thank, I thank the Lord for Pastor Clendenham because he taught me, through, well, Jesus taught me, but through this man, he taught me about the spiritual battles that we walk in. And then we move down to Somerset, and I have Gracie, and then I have Hannah, and I just want to share a little bit about, I know God also as a God that heals. But I had Hannah, after I had Hannah, she arrived sweetly in or 10 pounds of her. <laughs> and the night after I had them, when the girls had gone home, and my husband, I started hemorrhaging. And it's, you know, hospitals are funny places, they're scary, <laughs> you know. And I just, I was in, 
I was poorly, I was really, really poorly, and they said, do you want to call anybody? And I said, no. I didn't want people to worry. And they took me down to theatre, they couldn't stop anything, they couldn't do anything, they couldn't stop it, and it was just getting, and all the time I'm crying, please God hear me. I had four young children. I didn't want this to go on. I didn't want the transfusion. I just, but I felt the presence of God as I was going through those corridors on that bed, things that operated. I knew the Lord was with me. And I knew he healed me, because praise God, I came back to the ward early hours of the morning, and I was fine, and I didn't need a blood transfusion. But that early hours of the morning, the nurses and doctors came round to check Hannah. And you know when they look at your baby when there's something wrong. And they said that she had a hole in her heart. And I remember just sitting on the edge of my bed. I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my word. You know, it says, be still and know that I am God. And I must have sat like that for 12 hours. Mm. And they said to me, just keep an eye on her. Just watch it, because she, she'll turn suddenly blue. They didn't know what they were doing, whether they were going to take her to the theatre, whether they were going to... They just didn't know at this stage. But my eyes were on my baby. Mm. And I didn't tell anybody until my husband came in that night. But by the time he got in, I knew God had given to me to her just like that. And that was okay. If she was to have a hole in her heart, that was okay. If we were to have her for a year, that was okay. I just had this great sense of there is a purpose bigger. God gave me that. And he gave me a scripture in Malachi 4.2. But unto you that fear my name, Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, mm. and he shall go forth and grow up as calves of a stall. And again, I don't even know, but that scripture just blessed me and kept me, and I clung to that scripture. And my mum and Peter and my husband and I, we decided to pray and fast. And for four days I sat and I stared at that baby to watch the colour of her skin. She went in and out, she went for tests, she went for all sorts of things. They took her off to surgery and they came back and they said, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. And I said, well, and I said we were Christians and we were praying and they simply said, whatever you do, it is work. Whatever you do, it is work. But I know God healed her. I know he healed my little girl. So I know him as a healer as well. Um, so life goes on, the girls are now at school. I just share a bit about life. It so I know I know that I I put them I know I put them into school. 
And I pray God gave me the gift, um, just the, the desire perhaps, as all months, but I pray from the moment these kiddies were in my room, I prayed for them as, as we all do. Then I send them out into that world and I know what they're up against. But I pray and I trust that Jesus watches over them. And God taught me how as each thing as each thing happens, he teaches me to deal with it. You know, because the school is a horrible place in a way. The world is a horrible place. You know, it is awful for our children out there. But even from primary school, I learned to deal with things as they arose. So they were separated from a young age. And uh, he showed me if you speak to people nicely, but stand firm on what you believe. And I have found favour throughout their school life. My girls didn't get changed with the other children. They learned. They changed when they were little, in a little cupboard, wasn't it, I think, girls? In primary school, because that's all there was. But I even thank God for that, because nobody asked them. It's like he shut their mouths, because the kids were too young to understand why they were getting changed on their own, maybe. And no, none of their friends, I don't think, ever really asked them. But the teachers let me. Lessons that I didn't agree with, lessons that I didn't like them being taught, subjects, topics. Every time something happened, I just ring the school, I'd go and see them, and I said that we were Christians, and I didn't want, and every time that we found favour. So I thank God for that. I do, I thank the Lord for the strength to do that, that they learn to be separate. Pastor Glenn, Glenn Denham said, you know, I remember put, put a packet of um, some tracks in your children's pocket and send them out onto the streets and you'll put iron in their blood. Mm -hmm. And we did that for years. I know, I know how they feel, but we were on the streets for years and they stood and they saw their friends and I know they were mocked. But there was something deeper in it that I had to do. Mm -hmm. I had to teach them to stand. Because what they face is nothing compared to what they will face. Um, and the girl, we've had it the last few years have been quite difficult for us. Um, but in, in March 2019, uh, I'm walking on the beach. I'm just going to share. Oh, I forgot a bit. I just want to say how I got to know Tim and Nikki and Chris and Steve. Um, it was a few years ago, just when I had Kez and Jemima, that we came over on the ferry <laughs> to a meeting in Pastor Sam's church, and that's when I first met Nikki and Tim and Chris and Steve and Trevor and Sandra. So that's where the friendship started. I only had the two children, and they just had Jack. Um, so, yeah, 2019 March, and I'm on, I'm out walking, and I just, I just remember being on the beach, and I see the tide coming in and out, and I just have this real sense that something, something was going to change. There was, there was a season in my life that something was going to change. And I heard so clearly, God asked me 
to move to Ireland. And my only, my only answer, see when God speaks his word, the desire comes as well. Because there's no way in a million years I'd want to move to Ireland. I'm just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. So not brilliant, but... <laughs> never a thought, I can't wait to move to Ireland. I can't wait to the kids, you know, there's a nice church. There was nothing. There was never in a billion years, a billion pounds, that I would come to Ireland because we had a lovely home. My family, my friends, my work, my children's school, our life was there. But I heard clearly the Lord say, and as soon as he spoke it, the desire was there. There was no persuading me, there was no like begging me, I just wanted to come as soon as God spoke his word. And the only thing I asked him was, Lord, if you want me to move, then put the desire in my children's heart. Because it was easy for me. But I knew what I was asking of them. They'd already had a really difficult time. They'd already lost an awful lot. And now I was asking them to give up everything to follow me. So I prayed about it for a few, a few months and I spoke to the girls and all th three I knew were very keen to come and I know one wasn't and I did see your tears and I knew, I knew what I was doing hurt her, but I had to stand on what I knew was beyond what she could see. And I remember ringing Tim and speaking to him and I also had a sense, because we weren't in church then, we hadn't been in church for years, I had a sense that we were going to live in dangerous times. This is before Covid was even breathed or spoken. But I had a sense at the time that we were moving into, that we would never survive on our own. That girls and I needed to be in the body of Christ somewhere. And I rang and I spoke to Tim, and we we just we we walked we stepped out in faith. So I put I went to the estate agent. We put the for sale sign in the garden, and the house went on the market in July two thousand and nineteen, and we sold it and it was empty, and we moved here in October 2019. And I give God all the glory, but it wasn't so smooth. I, I, went, to my, I went to a solicitor, and I took my Bible with him, with me, and I also took this card that says, is anything too hard for the Lord? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And when I went to, into Mr. Shirley's office, his, he was quite a professional, he was a very professional man, and instantly I'm intimidated because just his manner and, and the whole atmosphere. And by the end of our first meeting, we had the laptop up. He, he happened to be an Irish man, and his granddaddy had 
been part of the, the dam, he'd helped build the dam. And there was a relationship there. And he thought, I think he thought I was mad. Because he kept saying, why do, why do you want to go to, where is Ballonade? You never heard of And I think he took the, and he said it, and he also said, I will never do what I needed to do. And I said, but I know God has spoken to me. He, you know, he said, you would never do what you need to do, Mrs. Johnson. It's just too complicated. It's just impossible. And I said, please, I almost begged him. I said, please, please help me. And I think he felt sorry for me or I amused him or something, but he took on my case. And I thank God for him too. Because he was really kind to me. But God gave me all the way through. God gave me, yeah, God gave me such help. You look back now and you think, how on earth did I do it? You know, when I told people we were moving, okay, they weren't particularly happy because they'd say, where are you going to put the girls? I, what school? I don't know. Where are you going to live? I don't know. What job are you going to have? I don't know. How are you going to survive? I don't know. So I understand people's concern. But I just had this faith to walk out and trust God that I saw beyond I saw beyond what we see with the natural eye. Um, so the months ticked by and I put every piece of furniture on Gumtree, five bedroom house, we, with the help of the girls, we sold everything. And it's the night before um, the van's arriving with Stephen and Trevor and Vic, and my house had not sold, I hadn't completed, I hadn't exchanged, there'd been one problem after the other. And I think God just blinds you when it's too overwhelming. I just, because it was so extreme, I found myself now in an empty house that I hadn't sold, taking the kids out of school, given my job up, but I hadn't even sold my house, and the ferry's going to mine. But we came and we packed up, and I was going regardless. I was going regardless, and I remember going to Vernon the next day. I took the house keys, I put them on the estate agent's desk, and they said, Mrs. Johnson, you're not going, are you? And I said, yes. Yeah. I the car was packed, the van was packed, the dogs were in the back of the car, the house was empty, and we left. And I left Jen behind, and I left Kezi behind. But God just carried me. He just gave me such strength to trust him that they would be okay for a few months. And my only concern now was the ferry. When I look back, it's, I didn't have a cabin on the ferry. And I didn't want my girls sleeping in the bar. That's all I could think about. I hate the atmosphere of those night bars. And we didn't have anywhere to sleep. And it was a horrible journey, wasn't it? The traffic was awful. <laughs> we didn't know if we were going to get the ferry, but we got on the ferry and praise God, Vic went to speak to somebody and her cabin was empty and we all 
slept over here. And then we we arrive the next day and my solicitor calls me. And he said, Mrs. Johnson, Sarah, he said, I'm going to close your file. There's nothing more I can do for you. He said, in 32 years, I've never had such a difficult case in my career. He said, it's like your biased solicitor doesn't want her to buy your house. And I knew the battle I was in. And he said, the only way it will happen is if she overrides her solicitor. And I pleaded with him, I said, please don't do this. But praise God, she did override her solicitor, and within 24 hours, the money was in the bank. So I thank God that he carries us. I thank the Lord that he carries me all the way. And I just want to share, I've missed all these scriptures I have written down. I just want to share how God provided for me a job as soon as I got here and the children as well. Uh, Whenever I try to look for the girls' school at home or make inquiries or a job for myself, I felt the Lord would say, just, and you turn to the world because you're trying to do so much. He'd say, just leave it, Sarah, just, just leave it. But you often, I often didn't listen. You push and you push and you ring this and you ring that person and you apply for this. But I, when we left, there was nothing. I just said, okay, Lord, I'll trust you that you will lead us to the school where you want my children and that you will lead me to the job where you want me to do. And within two weeks of being here, I had a job that I love and I know that God has me there. I know that he has me there. And the girls are in school where I know God wants them. You know, I know, I know is it, people can say an awful lot when they say nothing because people ask where my girls go to school. But I know it's where the Lord wants me. Because I prayed. They don't know the hours of prayer. So he's provided everything. Everything for me. Um, just... And I just want to share... Luke 21. And God gave me this scripture that has been in your patience possess ye your souls. And Daniel 11 32. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And I pray that, I pray that every morning. I pray that the Lord will teach me to be, and my children, to, to be meek and to walk in humility, but that we will be strong and we will do great exploits for you.
because I know there's no other purpose on this planet but to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's no other reason to exist. For any of you that don't know him, don't waste any more time. There's no reason to struggle. This week, just when Tim asked me, I just felt so anxious. It's ridiculous. And it was a moment of, I understand what anxiety is. I live in sustaining peace. I live in that peace that he, that, that he gives when you're saved and that you walk with him and you put the trust in him. And when you don't have that, it's so hard. So I'm sympathetic more with people with anxiety. But I plead with you, anybody that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't waste time. Don't think there's anything out there because if anyone's tried anything, I've tried it all. And the pit gets deeper and the pit gets darker and the anxiety gets deeper. There's, there's no other answer. You can't, you can't do it any other way but by the blood of Jesus and by the cross of And just Genesis... Genesis 14 is anything too hard for the Lord for with God nothing shall be impossible so I just I just want to encourage anybody who is struggling as well that whatever God asks you to do he will help if you just if you just totally totally trust him you know I am a living testimony of God's mercy I am a living testimony you know, I've been so, I've been so kept by his grace these few years. I've been to the darkest place of anybody's world would want to be. And I didn't lose my mind. I didn't lose my mind. You know, God has kept me. I have to give him all the glory. God has kept me. He's kept my children. And I thank him, and I would do it again to know that they were saved. I'd go through it all, all again. But I, when when he spoke a couple, when when it was at the ladies' meeting, I just got one last scripture to share. I think it's one Chronicles twenty six. One Chronicles twenty six twenty seven. Out of the spoils won in battle, did they dedicate to maintain the house of the Lord? <laughs> See, if God can reveal a scripture. That is my testimony. <laughs> Because I get those battles, those physical battles where they had those spoils, they had it all to maintain the physical house of God. But you see, the spoils that we win through our victories in Christ, you can't buy. I have a faith, I have a hope, I have a vision that I have only had through the battles that God
has permitted an allowance in my life. Why, I don't know. I don't know. But I thank God that they maintain the house of God because they're for all of us. Yes. They're for the people that hear this testimony. If they strengthen anybody or they encourage someone not to give up, but to keep going, because in Job it says he, he possessed more in his latter years. And I have more than I've ever had. I might live in a little rented house in the middle of a field, but I wouldn't swap it for the world. I don't know where I'm going to live when I have to leave. I don't know, but I just trust in the Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.